Awesome. Okay, my message this morning for you is called Significant But Not Surprising. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that that was included. It's not a race, but if it was a race, Peter won. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He's been laid in a tomb and the stone has been rolled over. This death was tragic for so many reasons. This was not only the death of some people's friend. It was not only the death of their rabbi, but this was the death of hope. This was the death of their hope that this Jesus of Nazareth that they'd been hanging out with, talking to, trying to figure out, their hope was that this Jesus of Nazareth would actually be the Messiah, the Savior of the world that they had been holding out for. This death would have been so gut-wrenching in so many ways. When the woman arrived to, at the tomb, they're greeted by two angels in dazzling white robes that ask a very suggestive question. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. It was upon seeing the empty tomb that the disciples' eyes were opened. See, the resurrection of Jesus' body lifted the veil from their eyes, the, the removal of the scale from the eyes of the disciples. This was their when-it-clicked moment. Like they had seen it, they had heard it, they had sort of been living it out, but this is with them, the moment when their eyes were finally opened. See, they had read about the Messiah. Some of the disciples may have been studying the Messiah, the Savior that would come for most of their life since they were young boys. It would have been spoken about at every Passover uh, celebration, every gathering, every prayer meeting. There was nothing more anticipated by Jews than the eventual arrival of this coming Messiah. And yet leading up to the empty tomb, the story still tells us that for until then, they still hadn't understood the Scriptures. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it is alive, that it is living. It's not just dated, but it is alive in our life today. And today we choose to come and we acknowledge that we're in your presence and we submit ourselves to the truth of your word. Today, God, will we not be someone that would just read and hear, but would we see? Would we not miss what's going on like the disciples did that day, but would we not only see the scriptures, would we understand what it is that you were doing? Would we read the signs? Would we see you at work? We open up our heart to you today and we pray, God, would you speak? For we are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no doubt that this empty tomb would have absolutely rocked the disciples to their core. This was significant. And yet, interestingly enough, it seemed to come as a surprise. They didn't understand when Jesus said that he would be killed and rise again three days later. They didn't understand when Jesus clearly outlined that he would have to suffer. They had available to them the same Old Testament scriptures that we have today. And yet the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection came as a surprise to them. 
What followed the resurrection was a period of about 40 days where he appears to his disciples and up to 500 other people. And he's he's speaking, he's teaching, he's ministering to them. Now, interestingly, in Luke chapter 24, we read that the very same day as the resurrection, he appears next to two disciples. Now, this is quite possibly the very first appearance that he has in this 40-day period, considering it's the very same day. And he didn't wait around to get to work. Jesus is out here acting like he has a toddler. It's like the moment his eyes open, it's go time. There's work to be done. The moment he's resurrected, all of a sudden he's straight away appearing to different disciples to teach and get on with the job. And so there's these two guys, and they're walking along a road. I, I Googled it. It was about 11 kilometers. That's quite far, longer than I'd walk. They're walking along to a town called Emmaus. And although they're said to be disciples, they're clearly not very famous ones. They're not the usual ones we hear about. In fact, it's only later that we find out just one of their names. These two men are walking along, talking about all the crazy things that have just taken place in the last few days to Jesus. Now, Jesus, the Bible says, all of a sudden appears right next to them while they're walking along and asks what it is they're speaking about so intently. Now, even though it's Jesus and he's the very one they've been speaking about, the Bible says that God kept them from recognizing him. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, when two saints are talking together, Jesus is very likely to come and make the third one in the company. Talk of him and you will soon speak with him. You know, when someone enters your conversation halfway through and it's real frustrating, like, We've all experienced it. You're having a good chat. You're like quite a decent amount of the way through the story. And then someone walks in and goes, what are we talking about? And you're like, oh, I can't be bothered starting again. Like if you weren't here at the start, sorry, you've missed the boat. You kind of get a sense that this is the attitude of these two men walking along. They don't yet know it's Jesus, but you sort of feel like this is the attitude that they're carrying. One of them replies when Jesus says, so what are you guys talking about? And he's like, oh. You must be the only one in all of Jerusalem that hasn't heard about what's going on in the last few days. I imagine Jesus has to hold back his smile. He's like, oh, really? I imagine he kind of slowly closed his fists to hide the holes that had been pierced in his hands. There's another reminder that when we feel like God doesn't know what's going on, when we feel like God hasn't seen what has happened, he's actually very close and he knows exactly what's going on. But God, you don't understand. He does. Jesus says, what things? They're like, you haven't heard about all the things? He's like, what things? He plays along with it. Now, he knows what's happened. He experienced it. He can see that they were sad as they walked. The Bible said that he was able to acknowledge that they were sad. They were heavy about the news that they were talking about. He likely knew the condition of their heart, and yet he still asked them to share. You know, God always knows what's going on. But there's so much value in us sharing that with them from our very own mouth. Luke 24, verse 19 to 21. What things, Jesus said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah that who, who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. That's powerful. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing, we had hoped God would save us the way we thought we needed to be saved. We had hoped that God would fit the narrative we had already built up in our mind. We had hoped based on what we wanted, not based on what we needed. We hoped for our Jesus rather than the real Jesus. We hoped, but also never really bothered to read the scriptures properly We had hoped, but our hope was in our plans and desires, not God's. 
These two disciples explain how some woman from their group run to the tomb and discover that it's empty. And then they say, those women from our group, they went and told some of the other men from our group to go and check it out. And and that's what they found. They're stating the facts of what happened, but they still seem perplexed. They're like, yeah, so like our friends, these women, they went and it was empty. And so they ran back to tell the men and the men were like, well, we don't believe you. So they ran and had a look and, and they sort of just state it, but they seem to not be clipped on. And Jesus is obviously frustrated at the response, which gives credibility to their cluelessness. Jesus says this in Luke 24, verse 25 to 26. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? You know, the Easter story is simply just God doing what he always told us he was going to do. Jesus calls these men out and says they're foolish. He's like, what, what do you mean you hoped he was the Messiah? Like what happened was exactly what needed to happen to the Messiah. What happened was exactly what was always predicted was going to happen with the Messiah. Imagine Jesus being like, what have you been reading? Like where have you got your information from? Uh, it's kind of like he's saying, while it's significant, this shouldn't be surprising to you. The patience of Jesus is supernatural. I would have been like, I would have used a different word than foolish. If you've ever read passages of how Jesus deals with his disciples and how outrageously disconnected from obvious things they are, you'll know what I'm talking about. These guys are meant to be his disciples, but they're as clueless as the rest of them. We see the patience of Jesus in his response. Jesus essentially says, all right, we're on a long walk together and we're not going to play I spy because no eye has seen what the Lord has planned. I'll waste you. But because we're on an 11 kilometer walk, we're going to have a chat. And I love this. He goes, rather than just being angry, you should know better. You're dumb. You're my disciple. Who are you? He says, we're on a long walk. Let's start at the beginning. And the Bible says he takes them right to the start. And he begins to take them through patiently through all the writings of Moses and the prophets to show them all the things that would happen to the Messiah. All the things, evidently, that would happen to him. You know, there are a lot of people that read and hear but do not see. And Jesus really wants these two guys in this moment, and I suspect us here today as well, he really wants us to actually see. Now, if we take the scripture at face value, which is a good thing to do, and we believe that he did in fact slowly walk them through all the different things concerning himself, then we can probably believe and assume that he explained how Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, would be the seed of a woman whose heel was bruised, the blessing of Abraham to all nations, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the man who wrestled Jacob, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the voice from the burning bush, the Passover lamb, the prophet greater than Moses, the captain of the Lord's armies to Joshua. They probably explained to them how he was the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth, how he was the son of David who was a king greater than David, the suffering savior of Psalm 22, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, the wisdom of Proverbs and the lover of the Song of Solomon's, the savior described in the prophets and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the princely Messiah, of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. He probably mentioned some of those things. As he patiently made his way all throughout the scriptures trying to teach these men, he probably mentioned those things. You know what I realized as I I, I looked into this, Jesus is pointing out to these men that one of the greatest ways to understand the victory of the cross and the power of the coming of the Messiah is to look at fulfilled prophecy. To look back at all the different promises that have been made over hundreds of years leading up to this moment. And when you see that they're finally fulfilled, you see Jesus for who he truly is. You truly see Jesus as the promised Messiah. 
These men are walking with Jesus right next to them, but they're looking for and they're thinking of a Jesus that doesn't exist. They couldn't connect the dots because they never took the time to truly figure out who Jesus was meant to be. Jesus even made that point of saying, wasn't it clearly predicted? How have you missed this? Now, look, I'm notoriously bad for skipping instructions on flat pack furniture. Any guys with me? Amen. Now, I'm not here to defend it. Darcy's called me out on this before. It's true. I just can't be bothered with that nonsense, right? I just get the pieces. I'm like, there's only a few pieces and there's a few bits in a bag. Like, I'll figure this out. As a result, it takes me way longer to build the stupid shelf. And it takes me ages. And then I'll be, like, working along and I'll be, like, just, like, in my zone. And I'll be like, oh, this goes in here. And I look up and Darcy holding the instructions like, I already told you that. You were right, I was wrong. <laughs> You're the best, I'm the worst. <laughs> it can be really hard to find something on incorrect instructions. And it's not even that the instructions were incorrect, but that these men never took the time to actually see what God was up to. They missed what he was doing. They took their eyes off the plan. Now they arrive at this town, 11 kilometers, that would have taken me ages, called Emmaus, and they're there to stay the night. And they convinced Jesus, hey, that's been a really interesting chat. Stay the night with us so we can chat longer. Jesus stays and they're having a meal. And while they're having a meal, Jesus breaks some bread and he blesses it and he hands it to them. And the Bible says this is the exact moment where they go, oh. <laughs> and they finally, their eyes are opened and they realize in this moment who he was. And then, I don't know if there's a, <laughs> but in this moment, he's gone. They recognized this moment. This was significant for them. I imagine as he broke the bread, he blessed it, he handed it to them. They attributed this moment with Jesus at the Last Supper when he first introduced communion. See, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't reveal the goodness and faithfulness of God. It confirms what we already suspected. It's the fulfillment of the many promises that had been made up until that point. It's so significant. But it shouldn't be surprising. Let me tell you what makes the Jesus of the Bible come alive in your heart. When you experience him doing something that you've already seen or heard, that you've already heard or read about. It's like when you read about healing in the Bible and then he heals you, oh, it comes alive in your heart. When you read of this indescribable peace and then that peace floods your heart, there's nothing like it. When you read of the love of God and then it hits you like nothing else ever has, it's amazing. When Jesus is doing Jesus things, your eyes are open to see him for who he really is. When these men have Jesus at their place overnight after their long walk to their, to their destination and he breaks the bread and he blesses it and he hands it to them, it rattles them. Remember that these disciples that he's having this meal with, they were close with the disciples that saw the empty tomb. They were close. They said the woman from our group went to the men in our group. These were the same disciples that had the Last Supper. They would have heard of this moment that happened just three or four days ago as they had the Last Supper. In front of their eyes, Jesus is doing this Jesus thing, and their eyes are opened. After their eyes are opened, it's like the meal's not even finished. Jesus is gone. He's, he's like the friend that disappears before paying their part of the bill. Like he's, he's had the bread, he's blessed it, he's gone. The men in this moment, they start thinking back to the journey. They're like, oh my gosh, this whole time we didn't know that was Jesus, that was the Messiah. They think back to their journey and they say this to each other. They say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures? For the Christians in the room, you might know what I'm talking about. 
Didn't your heart burn within you when Jesus first spoke to you? Don't our hearts burn within us when we read the Word? The problem is there's so many amazing God things, but if we're not aware of them, we'll miss them happening in our everyday life. The powerful victory on the cross is significant, but if you read the Scriptures, it shouldn't surprise you. The sufficient grace of God, it meets you right where you're at. It's significant, but not surprising. The free gift of salvation for every person that would call upon the name of Jesus. Nothing more significant in the history of mankind, and yet not surprising, not when you consider the one who is offering it. Jesus said to these men walking along the road, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer? You know, people are so funny. We, we act all surprised and shocked when things happen that we were warned about. If you notice that, like, if you watch the news, most people probably, you know, dibble-dabble, watch the news every now and then, you'll see that in this crazy financial climate, every couple of months, the Reserve Bank lifts the interest rates. And we all freak out, and we all act shocked, and it's all crazy. The crazy thing is they say, hey, in April, we're going to lift the interest rates by about this much. And then it gets to April, and they lift the interest rates by about that much. And we're like, what? What happened? And all the economists are like, why are you surprised? They literally told us they were going to do this. Jesus' death and resurrection was clearly predicted. And that's why Jesus is a bit, a little bit wound up, but I think he remains patient here with these disciples. He says, it was clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer. The two disciples said we had hoped he would be the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Jesus is like, he is. I am. That's literally how it was always meant to go down. Jesus was adamant that his crucifixion on the cross his burial and his resurrection were clearly predicted. And in fact, he states it wasn't it clearly predicted. This Easter Sunday, as we look at the significance of the victory of the, his death on the cross, defeating the power of death in the grave, let's be reminded of a couple of quick things that were made very clear. And LJ, you can join me on keys. If you want to know if it was clear or not as to whether Jesus was sent by God to be the Savior of the world, to suffer a death that he didn't deserve, not for his own sins, but for everybody else's. You don't have to look much further than Isaiah 53. Shemaine shared a passage, a portion of it uh, on Good Friday. I thought that was awesome. I, I, I thought of this and I thought, man, as Jesus is walking along the road with these two men, taking them back through all the things concerning himself, he had a field day with this one. He would have been reading it like, you... You see what's going on here? Let me read it to you. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 9. It's not the whole passage. You should read the whole thing. It will blow your mind. About 700 years before Jesus was born. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. Jesus had no children. That his life was cut short in midstream. Died around 33 years old. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Firstly, don't be surprised that Jesus had to suffer. Jesus suffered on the cross so that you and I didn't have to. 
That's why the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took upon the weight of sin so that you and I could walk freely without that burden on our shoulders. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. But that's why when Jesus says, if you come and follow me, the burden is easy and the yoke is light because he's already carried the weight of it. Jesus died that day so that you and I could live. And this Easter, once again, our greatest response would be to worship him, to praise him, to thank him, to commit our lives to him. Don't be surprised that Jesus had to suffer. It was clearly predicted. Secondly, don't be surprised that Jesus was resurrected. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, you see so many prophecies, a little bit different, but kind of like predictions, declarations of the truth of God that would come to pass at some point in time. You see so many of these pictures and predictions that highlight not only how Jesus would die and be crucified, but would ultimately defeat the penalty and power of sin in our life and death and be resurrected. I think of Jonah being swallowed by the whale or the big fish. This Jonah character is swallowed. He's taken under for three days. And then after that, he spat back up onto land fully alive. It's a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. What about Abraham taking his one and only son, Isaac, to the top of Mount Moriah to sacrifice him? The wood is prepared. He's destined to be sacrificed. Death is his serving. And then God provides the way out and Isaac comes back down that mountain alive. Destined to be dead and yet by the grace of God still alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Paul said he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Even Paul understood it. Disciples, where you at? Jesus was resurrected, not just so that he would be our sacrifice on Good Friday. He wasn't only the substitute that took our place, but he was the great resurrected king. He defeated the power of death in the grave so that you could experience everlasting life. Paul says in Romans that we have died and are buried with Christ in our baptism. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too do you and I get raised to new life by the power of God. He died so that we could die to the power of sin. He rose so that we could rise to new life. Resurrection was always part of God's plan to bring you freedom in your life. Don't be surprised that He had to suffer. Don't be surprised that He was resurrected. And don't be surprised that He wants to know you. This can come across as one of the biggest surprises. The surprise is sometimes not that Jesus would leave His throne to walk the earth. Sometimes the surprise is not that He would endure the torment and the punishment of the cross. Not even that God is powerful enough to raise Him back to life, but that all of that would happen for you. It's significant but actually not surprising. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 to 6. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. In Romans 5, 10 to 11, it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. It was always the plan that God would make a way for you to know Him, to be close to Him. It was always about God making a way where we couldn't possibly make a way ourselves. 
you know, if there's anyone here today who, like the two men walking along the road to the town of Emmaus, thought we had hoped he was the Messiah, we had hoped there was a way to forgiveness, we had hoped there was a way to be connected with God, the good news of the gospel is that even though he did die on the cross that fateful day, he rose again on the third, exactly as predicted, so that you and I could have life and life to the full. He is the Messiah, our Savior. He went through all of that so that we would know God. The cross is the solution to separation. The cross is the cure to condemnation. The cross is a response of reconciliation. And if you ever had doubts of the extent of God's love for you, the cross is the answer to that question. His death, burial, and resurrection is the extent to which He would go. Significant, but not surprising. Come on, let's all close our eyes. For anyone in the room today, this Easter Sunday, 2023, I just want to affirm that you are in the right place. I don't want to make this seem over spiritual for you, but we absolutely believe that God draws people to Himself. It's His heart to know you, to be close to you. And every Sunday when we gather in His name, firstly, His promise is that He's in the room with us. So if you can already start to sense something, that might be why. The presence of God here is the Holy Spirit. He, he is God Himself and He speaks to people and He draws us near to Him. In a moment, I want to pray a simple prayer. It's simple, but it would change your life and your eternity. Bible says that we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. But as we've heard today, He would go to great lengths to pay a sacrifice that your sin and my sin deserved so that the debt was paid, so that you and I could walk free today. Forgiveness for our past, new life right now, and the promise of eternity in heaven with Him. Here's the greatest news of all of it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do. It is an absolute free gift. And how fitting that there would be people in the room today that would say yes to Jesus. Forgiveness today, eternity forever, and relationship with the God who made you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Every person in this room that wants to pray this prayer, whether you've been here heaps before, maybe you've been a church person for a while, but you haven't prayed this prayer. Being a church person doesn't get you to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And that's what Jesus offers you today. I'm going to pray this prayer out loud, but you need to make this your own prayer. I'm just leading you in it. You make this your own prayer in your heart. The Bible says, if you pray this and mean it, the old would be gone, the new would, be, would come, you'd be made brand new today. Pray this, say, dear God, I acknowledge I've sinned. I've chosen my own way above your way. There's times, God, when I've turned my back on you. But as I hear this amazing gospel story today, I believe, God, that you sent your son Jesus to a cross to take the punishment that my sin deserved. I thank you for that, Jesus. I choose to turn my life towards you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and make me brand new today. I ask you to come into my life as my Lord, the one I can trust to lead me and guide me, and to come in as my Savior, the only one who could have stood in the gap for me. I choose to turn from my life, place my hand in your hand, and declare that you are my God and I am your child. Today, Lord, I say that I am all yours.